listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Because they just didn't know there's too much gray area, and instead of picking a fight, they just avoided it, which isn't that great. But one time, um, to kind of finish my first thought now, one time my pastor came up, and this is the church where we didn't really talk about it, so this is like his one, like, sermon every five years on the Holy Spirit, and he was trying to explain to people what the Holy Ghost is. And so he was reading out of these Bibles that said Holy Ghost, and so he just he's trying to paint this picture with, with Scripture that's not there. And so for him, he goes, I might be like Casper, the floating ghost. You remember Casper, like the cartoon? He's like, the Holy Spirit's probably like that. I was like, what? That doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, and that won't be found. And there are a lot of open-handed topics, like I said, um, about the gifts of the Spirit. And that is normally the issue with the Holy Spirit that people tend to avoid. Um, was healing, is healing for today? Is it, did it end with the apostles? Is, do you have to speak in tongues to show that you're saved? Or can you be saved and not speak in tongues, right? Have you heard all these questions? Sweet. We're not going to answer any of those today. You're welcome. Uh, but those are kind of some of the things but now, there are some really cool things um, that I think we'll mention before moving on to the next thing. Just some cool things that the Holy Spirit has done. I'll just say that they're cool. Um, like the first thing is that the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead. Right? Do you guys all know that? So this is for me, I think I grew up in the church where it was like, we have Father God who sent his only son, and then Jesus was fully man and fully God, and he died for us, and then he rose again. Right? And that's where we can end it. And I think I've been in church settings where we stop there and we leave out. The Holy Spirit was doing great work in all of this. Uh, we see in Romans eight eleven, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So this scripture references the fact that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, raised Christ from the dead, um, which is great. And then he also... One of the other great things that the Holy Spirit does is he works in us. He lives in us. He works on us to help us grow in our salvation, which is the next thing to come. Um, another cool thing that the Holy Spirit did, if you're writing notes and taking things down, is that he gave us Scripture. So there's multiple references to this. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed or God-spirited and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and tr- and training in righteousness. The second um, scripture that references is 2 Peter one twenty one. For prophecy never had its origin with human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit used these great men, the apostles, the apostle Paul, to write down these scriptures. None of these great ideas came just straight from them. It was the work of the Holy Spirit in them and through them to bring glory back to Jesus right? So the Holy Spirit is pretty amazing. I mean, he helps us give scriptures, and he raised Christ from the dead. And I didn't have this in my notes, but this is extra stuff I was reading. Um, but even there's, like, the way the words you are used, the Holy Spirit actually has, like, a personality, because they use, like, uh, proper pronouns. They don't just say, it did this. It says, he did this. Um, so the Holy Spirit is a real person, which— helps us in our salvation, which is the next thing. All right, so we're switching to gear number two, section number seven, and that's soteriology, which is the study of salvation. Now, 
I thought this one was going to be the easiest one out of the four, but I think this is the most difficult one out of the four that we're covering today because there is so much to it. Um, there's, there's a lot, or there's a, it all starts with like this great close-handed issue of Christ dying for us, right? Are you guys familiar with that story? <laughs> okay. But there's like all these like tentacles, if you will, that come off of this thing where it's like, well, what about this? And then what about this? So we'll kind of cover that. So the main issue with salvation, if you're telling your friends about salvation and why they need it, there's actually, it could be difficult because there's multiple ways that people view found, uh, salvation today. Um, one of those would be like a liberation theology. I don't know if you guys are familiar with these things, but it's basically saying they're poor and oppressed everywhere. There's hurting and it's terrible. So we need to do our part to fix it. And when it's all fixed, as a collective body, we will be saved. Right? So that's kind of like a libertarian view of it. Um, there's also existential theology. Have you guys ever heard of Martin Heidegger? Yeah. So, so two of you. So this is kind of like the, the aim is to be fully human, to be fully alive. Um, so they believe that the chief aim is to fill their desires for happiness and security, usefulness and profit. So they think when you become fully whatever it is that you are when you are fully alive and fully human, that is when you have received your salvation. Like, that is the goal. That's what we're shooting for. Just so you know. And probably the most popular one that you know of the most is just secular theology. And this is the theology that isn't a theology. And it just says, why do we need salvation anyways? We just live here, and then we die. And so there is no need um, for salvation. And that's probably the most common thing. You know, if you talk to your friends, it's like, oh, I've, I'm fine. I don't mess up that much. I'm cool. I'll probably go to heaven, right? Have you guys heard people say things like that? I know I have. And so th- that's kind of the, the hard part of a salvation is that there's multiple views that have nothing to do with our close-handed issue that people believe. Um, so even to know that as you go out from here and talk to people about this. So what we believe the evangelical theology is that we are separated from God, right? We live in a sinful nature. We're in a broken world where everything's dying and decaying. We ourselves are full of sin. Um, we've made mistakes, right? We believe this. You guys have seen um, the track from like 1963 where there's like us on this cliff and then like God on this cliff and there's like sin that separates us in this massive pit. You know what I'm talking about? And then there's like you draw the cross and it's a beautiful bridge over to, with, to live with God. You guys seen that track? Yeah. Some of you guys probably have it tattooed on you somewhere. Um, <laughs> so that, that is the idea of salvation where we, there is this, there's this defect and we're separated from God in, in multiple levels. Um, we're not part of his family. We're, we're kind of separated. Um, so the first thing, we're going to have a, this is kind of like some definition words here that we'll kind of get through in salvation. But we need to be justified, right? We need to be made right. And this is the act of Christ dying on the cross, Holy Spirit raising him from the dead. And through Jesus, if we participate, if we believe, if we go with him, die with Christ, then we are justified. And justification um, just means that through Jesus, we are declared righteous in God's sight. Um, And it puts us in a legal union with Christ. So maybe like a subheading under justification is adoption. So as we are justified with Christ, we're not just like 
It's not like God did this great act, and then it's like, okay, we're, now we're cool. We're fine. We'll just keep going. No, it's like we're part of, we get adopted into what Christ is. We die with him. Um, like baptism is an open-handed issue on how it happens, if you're sprinkled or if you're dunked or if, how you say it, how you pray. Uh, but the big idea of baptism is that you go down into the water and you come back up, right? It's a symbolization of you dying with Christ, of going down into the grave, coming back up, right? So you, you live along with Christ. So you, adoption is a big thing because it changes from you just being a messed up human being fixed to being a human who is now a son, who is now a daughter of this great king that did this great act for us, right? So in salvation, um, there is kind of like, there's kind of like three steps. So this first step is justification. Have you guys heard these phrases before? The next one is sanctification. And then the last one would be glorification. So under justification, you have like a, adoption, I would say. Like that's a, like a big idea under justification. The next one is sanctification. And this is um, the process of us becoming more like Christ and growing in that. And underneath sanctification, there's probably a couple, couple terms I'll give you, a couple R words. Um, one is repentance, um, and the second word, the R, second R word is regeneration. So repentance, there's actually, in Scripture, there's a few different words, or a couple different words that are used for repentance. Um, one of them we see, like, when Judas betrays Christ, it says that he was repentant. And what that was saying is that he felt remorse and guilty, um, and, but it ended there. And I, I've even been reading... Uh, lately, a testimony of this, of this big guy who did lots of uh, terrible things in his life and got saved. But he said in his, like, I was reading his story. In his story, he said before he knew Christ, he would do these things and he would feel remorse and guilt for them. But he didn't even know Christ. He's like, why do I even feel that? Because sin will lead to death. And at some level, um, you will feel the, the remorse of doing those things. So you see that in Judas. Um, the other kind of repentance that you see is like when Peter— um, it's Peter, right? That denies Christ. Am I saying that right? Um, so it says that he was repentant, but his repentance, there was remorse and guilt, but there was a turning of ways. There was a fixing. Um, and so in that, he was back into the fellowship, and he, be, and he did great, great things after that moment, right? So if repentance is kind of, um, in sanctification, our process of growing, repentance is kind of the section, uh, I don't want to say it this way, but it's kind of what, what we do. The Holy Spirit works in us. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, but it's kind of our actions in doing that. The regeneration part of sanctification is that God really does it all for us. There is a, there's a real transformation, a real renewing of us. Um, in the scripture, it actually literally means a new birth, like a second birth, which I would picture it more figurative, but it does say that it says it literally. Joe is going to love when he listens to this on podcast later. Um, but the regeneration, that is what God does in us. So, you know, like there's stories of people that like when they get saved, they do all these things and all of a sudden it just changes in them. And they're like, what in the world? How did all this change overnight? Because there was like a regeneration. There's something that God is moving and just transformed in them. But there's still this other section that it takes time. Like you mess up. You make mistakes, and there's a process of repentance, of feeling remorse, apologizing, and turning back, and staying in fellowship with God. Does that make sense? Um, and this is probably the section that leads us to the next section, because I don't think you can work through your salvation and the sanctification process alone. 
So the next one is about the church. Ecclesiology, we'll get there in a second. Um, so justification, under justification, you have adoption. Second one, you have sanctification. So under sanctification, you have uh, repentance and regeneration. And the last one is glorification. And that's when we are with Christ, when this life ends and there is no more process. You're done, you're fixed, you're whole. That's going to be a sweet day, right? Right. Where you just be in union with Christ, with the full body. Yeah, that's a great day. Um, so I just feel like a whirlwind of information? Because it feels like it. I haven't talked this fast in my whole life. Um, neither have I had any. I have like so much notes up here. This is more notes than I've ever prepared for anything in my entire life. So you're welcome. Um, yeah, so the, the difficult areas or probably the open-handed discussions about salvation and soteriology. Um, You guys probably know this is coming. Uh, But the Calvinism and Arminianism, right? Are you guys familiar with those topics? I feel like like half the time I'm here, I feel like I mention them. And I don't know what in the world that is, but I have to. It's just my job. So the Calvinist side of salvation says, like, it's predestination. Are you guys familiar with this? I'm just going to highlight it, and then we're going to move on. We're not going to pick a fight about it today, um, even though some of you might want to. So predestination, it's like God has chose from the beginning of time who he's going to save. In his sovereign power, he already knows. So you either got a green card or you don't, green light or you don't. Does that make sense? So in this idea of salvation, um, that the Calvinist side would also lean to saying that you can't lose your salvation. Because if God already chose for you to have it, how could you lose it? Right? Some of you are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> it's cool. I just have to talk about it anyways. So the other side um, is the Arminian side. And this is like the works, the choice side. So it's all up to you. And so because of that, they believe that you can lose your salvation. Because it's, it's off of what you are working and what you're choosing and you're doing to get there. So you can unchoose yourself if that makes sense. Now, the tricky part is there's actually scriptures for both, um, which doesn't help, which is why it's an open-handed issue. It's why it's a gray area. So the Calvinist side, I'll just give you this. I'm not even going to read it because um, we've got other stuff to talk about today. So John chapter 10, like 27 through 30, um, is a verse that would, uh, the Calvinist side would use to say, like, look, you can't be plucked from this hand. You're saved. He's made you whole. You're one of his sheep. So the verse that the Arminian side would use would be like Matthew chapter 24. It's actually longer. It's like verses 3 through 14. And this is when Jesus is warning the disciples that they can be led astray. Like be intentional, right? So there you go. No conclusions on that one. So um, in sanctification, there is this thing where we are growing, right? So we're justified. We're then sanctified. None of us in this room have quite got to the glorification side of salvation yet, right? Because you're still in this room. For those of you who don't know why that's funny, you weren't listening to the last 20 minutes of what I just said. Uh, So in the sanctification, it's this working out process, which leads us, put us in the gear number whatever, um, and that is the church. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. Now, um, if you want to, I think this will be great. Um, if you opened your Bibles, if you have your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, and 
And we don't have time to probably read all of it today. Probably don't have time to read any of it today. Um, but in here, it talks a lot. So you see, like, if you have, like, the headings, it says, like, one body, many parts. So they, a lot of the things we'll highlight in this next section comes from this chapter. And if it doesn't, I'll tell you kind of some scriptures you can find about it. But I would encourage you to read this one because um, it wraps up a lot of the big idea of what the church is and should be. Um, so, yeah, so the, big, the first big idea about we are the church is that we are his people. Like I, I told you, when we get grafted in, we get adopted into this family. We get adopted into life with Christ, which means we're not alone. Um, we see that in 2 Corinthians 6.16, if you're writing down notes. Um, we are his people, and that's Paul is even referencing the Old Testament um, and talking about, like, we are grafted into this. We are his people. We are his body. So, 2 Corinthians 12, and I'm just going to highlight um, a few really cool ideas out of 1 Corinthians 12. But the big idea is that we are the body of Christ, right? Um, and in that, there's lots of kind of like subheadings. So I'm just kind of going to fly through them pretty quickly, if that's all right with you guys. And if it's not, I'm still going to do it. Um, so the head of the body of Christ, the head of the body that we are, is Christ. Uh, we see in Ephesians 1.10, it says, um, that everything to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. So all of us are under Christ. We, he is the head of this body, right? And the cool, the cool thing about um, the body and the imagery is it highlights the interconnectedness of us and how much we need each other, right? For example, my body right now, I'm able to come up here and walk around because I have legs, right? And then when I'm reading these notes, I'm able to hold them with my hands, so if I had legs and no hands, I wouldn't be able to hold them, right? But even if I had legs and hands, but I didn't have eyes, I wouldn't be able to read the notes, right? So I need all the different parts of my body for me to function correctly. Does that make sense? It's not that difficult, but you guys, <laughs> they're like, wait, this is deep. No, it's not. Um, and we see that in 1 Corinthians 12. And it talks about us having different gifts. And it even highlights the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, where it's like not everyone is supposed to teach or to do this. Some people have that gift, but we need them to have that gift. But we need you to have the gifts that you have. So we're interconnected. We need each other to help each other work out our sanctification um, to get to glorification. Um, we also see in 1 Corinthians 12 that the body is char- characterized by genuine fellowship. So there's this idea that when we are in communion, when we're in the body of Christ, we need each other, but we don't just need each other for the functions that we can produce, um, but we need each other for the fellowship, for the friendship, for the relationship. I don't know, and I think this is probably my favorite topic out of all that we're covering today. I could talk about this probably until January if I wanted to, but I love this because I think in my life, the times that I've grown the most— is when I have had great friends that have called me on stuff, right? Have you guys ever experienced that? Like, my wife is the best at that. Like, if there's times where I'm doing something, she goes, actually, you're an idiot, do this. I'm like, oh, you're right. Actually, I don't normally respond that way. I normally say, I do not! And then I say, then like a week later, I'm like, oh, yeah, you are right. Because um, I'm defective. Um, 
the, the other thing we see in 1 Corinthians 12 is that the body is to be unified. Um, we see this in multiple times in Scripture. Yeah, so make sure you read 1 Corinthians 12 because it highlights all these big ideas. Um, but we see that the body is unified in Ephesians chapter 4. This is 4 through 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Right? So we all belong to each other. It's a unified body. Um, the body is also universal. Right? So the body of Christ is a worldwide thing. So people in Indonesia and people in Africa, they're all part of the same body with us. It's universal. Um, it says it in Colossians. Um, there, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So it doesn't matter where people come from, where they're going. Christ is in them. They're part of this big body with us. And we need them and they need us. Right? Yeah, read 1 Corinthians 12. It's, it's pretty sweet. And then probably one of like the, the coolest pictures of the body of Christ is that we are the extension of Christ's work on the earth today. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I, I would agree with that statement as well. Where when Christ is here, he was 100% man and 100% God, right? Like we just covered. And so when he was here, he had a body. And he did things, right? He healed the sick, right? He fed people that didn't have food. He turned water into wine. He did all these things with, when he was here with his body, right? And now that he is not here in his physical body, we are. And so we are the representation of that. So we're the extension of the things that Christ would have done in his physical body when he was here. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, don't go too far in that. Some people, there is a belief where people go too far and say, oh, we are the body of Christ. We are literally Jesus Christ, like, as one collective body. No, we're not literally Jesus Christ. We're literally the extension of Jesus Christ and the work that he's doing here. See that? Um, so, so there's a few main functions of the church. Um, this is kind of a separate thing in ecclesiology. So there's kind of like the 1 Corinthians 12, the imagery of the body, that we make up many pieces, make up this great, beautiful body that's growing and moving and always changing. Um, but the functions of the church is, the first one is evangelism. Um, that's a function of the church where we kind of go out. Um, edification is kind of the second function. There's three functions, by the way, if you're writing things down. Um, the second function is edification. And that's like, and we do this through many ways where we pray for each other and we encourage each other. We prophesy over one another. Uh, there's, there's scriptures where Paul is talking about like, don't do this in a church service because it doesn't edify anyone. Do this thing. And he's talking about like speaking in tongues and prayer and prophecy and the gifts. You guys know what I'm talking about? Um, and so edification looks different ways. Um, but it, that's kind of the section that's kind of like more towards us. Like it's more us focused. So evangelism's out. Uh, edification's in where it's like, I want to encourage you. This is about you right now. Um, the last function of the church, the third uh, function of the church, um, is to worship. And that is really to focus everything back onto God and say, really, all that we do, the evangelism we do, the edification that we do, our salvation, working out, and sanctification, and all these things that you are doing is because of you, because of how great you are. So we all turn it back to him. So the functions of the church, again, are evangelism, 
edification and worship. Now, um, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of open-handed issues in gray areas when we start talking about that. Because that is how, those are the things, the function of the church, we're the body of the Christ. Those are kind of more closed-handed issues. That's just the way it is. But the how we do that, it changes, right? There's churches even in this city that go about the how of this so differently. Um, like church government is a big thing, right? The hard part for me is I think we use the church to talk about this great big, almost, almost intangible, we're this great big body of Christ. But we use the same word church to describe the local, we're here at New Life Church. And, it, and it's the same thing, but there's such differences, it seems like, when we talk about it. Would you agree? Um, and so how we do things, um, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about having to worship with lights and smoke machines. Um, but people treat that stuff like close-handed issues. And I, and I talk with people where they say, I'm leaving this church because I really miss sweet lights. And that's a real thing. People are really moving churches and uprooting families and changing their relationships over the volume of sound. And, and that's an issue. Trust me, I'm the worship leader for the mill. I hear about this stuff all the time. I always want to turn the lights up, and everyone's like, turn them down, please. I'm trying to worship. And people get really worked up about it. It's not in the Bible anywhere. Um, I mean, we do see, like, pictures of church, um, like in Acts 2, um, the Holy Spirit comes, Pentecost happens, like all these things happen, um, and it starts to talk about the early church. Again, all these topics we're covering are, like, month-long topics that we've already covered in Sunday school, so look it up on the podcast. Um, but Acts 2 talks about the early church, and there's a few things that they do um, that we try to do also, right? So in Acts 2, it says that they fellowship together, which we do. We love to hang out. I think the mill is probably like the most fun place ever. Um, like in our communities, wouldn't you say? Like we're pretty good at like having fun. At least I like to think I'm pretty good at it. Um, so we fellowship together. Uh, there's teaching. There's breaking of bread. So we eat together and we pray and then it also says in Acts 2 that um, there was no need among them. They, they took care of each other. So when there was a lack in the community, they, f- they helped fix it, right? Which I would like to think that we try to do those things. If I know there's someone in this church and I can help them, I want to try to help them. Or we've seen this a lot, right? Where someone, $5 missions, knows of a great need and the mill body comes together and helps put them in a house or to take care of them. The Dream Centers is, might be an example of that. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of gray area there. Um, yeah. So I have a question for you, and then we'll cover the last one, which is the end times. But I'm going to give you just like five minutes to talk about this at your table. So we've talked about the Holy Spirit, right? We've talked about salvation. We've talked about the church, and we kind of see how they go in order one thing to the next, right? So here's my question, since we've just spent the last, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes talking about church. Here's my question. If a person doesn't engage in a local church, is this an indicator of whether or not they have received salvation? You're welcome. All right, I'll say it one more time, and then we'll talk about it, okay? Um, So talk about it for a couple minutes, and then I'm going to hear, I'm just going to have two people answer on a microphone. So if you have a really good answer, be thinking about it, because I want to hear... I want to hear someone that would say yes to that and someone who would say no to that. And then we'll move on. 
We just don't have the time. Uh, So I'll say it again and then talk about it for like five minutes. Ready? So if a person doesn't engage in a local church, is this an indicator of whether or not they have received salvation? Go. All right. Start wrapping up conversations. And by that, I mean quit talking. All right. So the question was, if a person doesn't engage in a local church, is this an indicator of whether or not they have received salvation? Who would say it is an indicator? Someone who would be willing to share. No one? No one would be willing to share? All right, Sven. So, uh, oh, did Dan have a good one? You guys can paper, rock, scissors for it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, we said that it was, if it's a conscious decision to separate yourself from the body, like there's obviously there's countries where it's not an option to gather together in, in a crowd like this. But if you're seeking after or would want to seek after others uh, that are in the body of Christ, then that's different. But if you're purposely removing yourself from the body, mm-hmm. then we said that that wouldn't really be it because you can't love Christ without loving His bride too. So mm-hmm. there you go. There you go. Oh, spin that. Repeat that. All right. So who would say that it's not an indicator? You guys in the back? Christian, you say it's not an indicator? You want to share? Or are you just joking? Don't do that to me. You can share? All right, Christian will share. We'll make Bowman run to the back corner of the room. So it is not an indicator that they have received salvation. It's better be good. <laughs> um, I just think there's a lot, of, a lot of traditions, more so in the past, but, I mean, many people used to be called to monastic traditions or the desert fathers or a contemplative lifestyle where they felt the Lord would tell them to go in the woods and live there forever and just seek after him. And so I think if it's specific like that, then uh, it doesn't matter. But I think the, uh, the deliberate, no, I'm not going to church because it's stupid kind of thing uh, <laughs> might be an indication if that works. Good answer. All right, if you still don't know about which side you land on, figure it out at home, because we're moving on to the next one. Uh, So the next last one, I mean, we have five minutes left, is eschatology. Uh, This is probably the one that has the most gray area and open-handed discussions. But there are, so if you are taking notes, you've probably filled them already, because there's a lot of details in this chapter, or this week of Middle Sunday School. But eschatology is the study of the end times. And in the end times, there's about five things that we know for sure. Does anybody remember that we, there's about a few things that we know for sure? You guys remember this? We talked about it like a year ago in Mill Sunday School. Has anyone been around that long? Nope. All right. Uh, so the first thing, this is the first for sure that we know about the end times, is that Jesus will return. So if you're writing this stuff down, we know that Jesus will return. Um, he says it. Uh, we also see in Matthew 24, 26 through 27, it says, So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Christ is coming back. And he's going to come back and we're all going to know it, know it. So if you're like, dude, Jesus is here. He's at Kidoba, like eating some nachos. He's back. Let's go hang out with him. Don't go. He's not at Kidoba eating nachos. We're going to know if he's back. It says it right there, right? Okay, so the first for sure that we know 
uh, is that Jesus will return. The second one is that the world as we know it today will end. Okay? The world as we know it today will end. This is A for sure. Um, 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the war. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Sounds like a bad day. But everything that we know now won't be like it is now, right? So there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. How it works, how it starts, all gray area. But how it'll end, that's not a gray area. Does that make sense? All right. So that's the second of the five. Um, The third thing is that, uh, the third for sure about eschatology, the end times, is the resurrection of the dead. Um, You can look it up in 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about that. So the fourth area, the fourth for sure of the end times, is that there will be a judgment. Jesus talks about this many times throughout Scripture. Um, I actually think he talks about it more than he, like hell and judgment, than maybe even more than he talks about heaven and some of those things. Um, look it up and tell me whether or not that's accurate. Uh, really, I would love to know what you come up with. So the fourth for sure about the end times, that there will be judgment. And then the fifth for sure about the end times, that no one will know when it happens. Right? We just read that verse, First uh, Peter chapter 3, where it talks about um, Jesus coming back, but it talks about he'd come like a thief. You don't normally know when a thief is coming, right? Because if you knew when a thief was coming... He wouldn't steal your stuff, right? It's true. Like when I was in high school, I had like this like beat up like 1980s like two-tone brown, really sweet car. But this is a true story. They stole a stereo out of that car three times until I bolted it down so hard they couldn't get anything out of it. And they even stole my car once. Why? It's like this piece of junk. But if I knew when they were going to come steal my stereos, they wouldn't have stolen my stereos. They stole my stereos enough that I actually thought about just sleeping in the back of my car so that when they would break in, I'd be like, I'm here. <laughs> but it, it, was too, it was too spread apart. They would do it like once a month. And I, I couldn't sleep in my car every night, you know? Anyways, so the end times, the for sure is about the end times is that Jesus will return. The world will end as we know it. Uh, there will be a resurrection of the dead. There will be judgment, and no one knows when, Right? Now, whether or not you're post-trib or pre-trib or dispensationalist, all those words, which I'm not going to explain today, is all gray area about the end times. If you don't know what that is, go listen to the podcast, because we really have talked about all this stuff in great detail compared to today. Cool. Does that make sense? So today we've talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about how he's God. Um, we talked about soteriology, the study of salvation, and how it's justification, sanctification, and glorification, Right? We talked about ecclesiology, the study of the church, and how we are the body of Christ. We are the extension of what Christ is doing on the earth today. And then systematic theology ends with the end times. And we just learned about the five for sure's of that. Does anybody have any questions? Because I'm not answering them. Good. All right, let me pray for you, and then we can go to big church uh, together. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you. for people much smarter than I that have gone through ahead of us and have laid some of these great big ideas out for us to help us understand your love for us, to understand your character, to understand who you are. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the, the work that you're doing on the earth today. 
of the body of Christ that you have allowed us to be in, that you have adopted us into. So let us not forget that we are part of this great big body, um, this great people of God that, that loves you and represents you here on this earth in a physical, touchable, tangible form. So just remind us of those things and just bless us this week as we, some of us have vacation and we eat turkey and we get to travel or if we don't get to travel, just thank you for all of this that happens this week for the rest that hopefully we all will get. So we thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.